0: strong women, smart policy, solid theology, and no apology. You're listening to Women for America, a ministry of Concerned Women for America, the nation's largest public policy organization for women, bringing you biblical perspectives to today's most pressing issues. Here's your host, CEO and President, Penny Nates. to Women for America. Today on the podcast, we have the great privilege of interviewing Samuel Say, who I will tell you, if you're not following on Twitter, you're missing out. He's very clever. He's very well spoken. He's very thoughtful. Uh, But February is Black History Month. And on our podcast, we wanted to highlight some Black leaders who are Our brothers and sisters in Christ that often get overlooked by the left. And so we want to right that wrong and give a platform to people who we think are great thinkers. And in that group today is Samuel Say. And I'm going to let him tell you his own story. But I will say, starting out, you need to follow him on Twitter. And also his blog is called Slow to Write. Welcome, Samuel, for Women for America. We love what you're doing. We follow you as an office. You say amazing things. And I just love to hear a little bit and let our listeners know about you and, and how you got to this place where you're the you're the guy that we're all leaning into these days on critical race theory and. Black culture and all of those. So, share a little bit of where you come from and how you got here.
1: Thank you so much. It's, it's really an honor to be um, with you. So, thank you so much for having me here. Um, yeah, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. Um, I was born by a single mother uh, who is who raised me and you know, you know um, with the gospel with with uh, with um, biblical values. But unfortunately, I wasn't a Christian until when I was nineteen. But before we get to that. Um, I was raised in Ghana, as I said. Ghana is, is, I would say, with no bias whatsoever, the best country in Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I was 10 years old, I moved to Canada. You might see the Canadian flag over there. Um, So I was in Canada for 25 years uh, until I moved to the U.S. um, to marry my wife. Um, and we now live in Ohio. We now just have a, a newborn son. Well, he's three months now, so I don't know if he's still considered a newborn, but and to he us is he's still yummy. Newborn.
0: I I gotta say, I'm I'm a wannabe <laughs> grandmother, and so like it comes out when I look at these beautiful little baby pictures. And you all have a gorgeous baby.
1: He's yeah, he's 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 an incredibly handsome boy, uh, and and he's such a good boy. He sleeps so well. Um, oh gosh. he sleeps is- like twelve hours through the night. Twelve hours wow. straight. Like we, like, are you still okay? <laughs> okay. Yeah, man? yeah. yeah Make fine.
0: sure he's still breathing kind of thing.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we're having a I'm I'm having a great time being a dad, being a husband. And um, but yeah, I, I've been um I've been here in the US now for about two years. But people know me through my blog, as you mentioned, slow to write and my social media page, slow to write as well.
0: So um I love like your perspective. You came to Canada, you came to the United States and you became a believer at 19. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so as I mentioned, I was raised by a godly single mother, I was truly raised in the church, literally raised in the church. But my heart was still far from Christ. You know, I was a child of wrath, as the Bible would say. Mm -hmm. Um, The Bible says, I think in John, John uh, chapter one, the gospel of John, that um, you become a believer not by being born of blood is referring to not by your ancestry, not by the faith of your mom or your parents. I became born again eventually at 19 because the gospel that I had heard my whole life. It finally clicked when I was 19. I was at a youth event, which means that good things actually happen at some youth events. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I was at a youth event and I heard the same gospel that I heard all my life, but this time Mm. it just, it was just God. It's all the gospel of grace. God just had mercy on me and he made me born again, as the Bible says. In John 4, uh, Christ says to Nicodemus that. You know being born again, and you don't know where it comes from. It's it's like the wind. It just you, it's it's all him, it's all by his sovereign grace. And he saved me when I was 19. And then that changed everything for me. I was a high school dropout at the time. Um, I people that had potential, but I didn't care about studying anything. Unfortunately, I was following the same patterns of the average uh fatherless uh person. Um, but when I became a Christian, God changed everything for me. I went back to school. And I uh, studied um, to be, you know, to become a writer, to love history, to be able to articulate things in a simple way to, for people. Because I'm a pretty simple person, so I wanna, I want people to understand um, the things that I'm, I'm, uh, i want, I want people to understand the things that I'm able to understand in an easy way. Um, and um, yeah, so I created my blog um, several years later in uh, 2015, which has been nine years, which blows my mind. It's been nine yeah. years, but it was. Um, as a result of what was happening with the original Black Lives Matter riots uh, in Ferguson, um, Ferguson, uh, Missouri, when um, I think it was um, Darren Wilson who, who justifiably shot um, Michael Brown. And that really created Black Lives Matter riots all over the country, but of course, especially in Ferguson. And I was just really amazed by the number of people that I knew, including Christians, mm-hmm. who were embracing Black Lives Matter ideology and social justice and all these things and who were being so quick to react to what they thought was oppression what they thought was the truth and that's where I came up with my blog name slow to write which is a reference to James 119 because I wanted to be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to anger so my blog yeah so you know I became a believer at 2019 sorry um, at 19 years old and then in 2015 when I think I was about in my mid twenties, I uh, created my blog so that I could help people understand biblical issues or or cultural issues from a biblical point of view.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think all of us wrestle because if you believe that you're we're we're sinners, right, and mm-hmm. we're broken, uh, but we're redeemed by the Lord and ho- trying to walk in the Holy Spirit and believe that we're one family. I have to say. The people I know of other races that are believers, I feel way closer to to than I do people of my own race that I have nothing in common with, you know, spiritually, right? Because we really are in a family, but you never want to, never want to dismiss the pain of other people. And we all have some sort of pain. My pain is not going to be the same as your pain. Um, But can you just address that a little bit? Because I feel like especially, you know, and it was a several years long process in which the church was struggling and reckoning with you know what what's the truth here what what does the bible say and i you know some l- very large churches mega church pastors i feel i got it very wrong you know people mm-hmm. that were um, closing their churches for covid but yet we're willing to go out and march in a in a you know, a Black lives Matter March. Never mind that it was a Marxist organization. I mean, it was on their website who wanted to destroy the family. Um, somehow, I don't know if they felt it was guilt. I mean, my friend Kay James would call that white guilt, who's, you know, one of my dear friends, former president of Heritage Foundation and who runs an African American leadership program. She was one of the first kids that was um, integrated into the Richmond, Virginia school system as like a 12 year old. She had great persecution because of it. And I, it's someone who I look to uh, deeply for these issues and she loves her country and is a dear sister in Christ. And so it's very interesting, you know, to talk to other believers and about their, particularly like her life experience, which would be different than yours and different than mine. Um, But what, tell me what you saw and what did you um, recognize? What, what fell apart for some pastors and what did some people do? Right. I guess is my question.
1: Well, you know, it it goes back to what, what, what you said that you and I have more in common than people who might share a skin color, but do not have the same Lord, do That's not right. have the same. And, you know, amongst black Americans, there's oftentimes, um, you know, they will refer to other black people as their brother or their sister, right? Or their brother, you know, as mm-hmm. their, or, or their sister. And I don't do that. And the reason why I mention that is because um, outside of my actual blood sister or brother, my brothers and sisters are those who are believers, no matter In what family skin color of God. They
0: are. Amen. Exactly. Amen.
1: Exactly. That's what I and, you know, reserve you-
0: that title for. My brother and I use that. You know, brother as we're collegially working together in the pro-life movement, you know, I'm working with other Christians and often refer to them, as good to see you brother. Love you exactly. sister. Exactly. You know. And that's exactly. real.
1: And the, yeah, and the reason why we do that is because we're not just the same family of God, but we're the same race. Right, Mm -hmm. uh, the Bible says in First Peter 2 9 that we are a chosen, uh, nation, we are a, a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Right, so God says that we are our own race as Christians. So it's, it's countercultural. So you, though you have different ancestry, different skin color, different hair, you and I are the same race in Christ, right? So, uh, so then you know, then you may have other people who may have my skin color. might come from the same nation, my same tribe, which is the Fonti tribe in in uh, in, uh, in Ghana. You may have the same tribe again, same skin color, same nation, and yet if they are not. In the family of Christ, if they are not believers, they are not my race, right mm-hmm. so it's completely countercultural. but going back to uh, what you said about why did some people get it wrong and some people get it right honestly it's, it's very ironic. it goes back to the same the very beginning of this issue, which is um the reason why some people, some believers sadly, Embrace white supremacy years ago mm-hmm. of course there's some who still embrace that now generally but it's it's incredibly rare compared to what it was yes. uh before where unfortunately a, a massive population of people in the west um uh, had white supremacist views the reason why that happened the reason why so many christians embraced that is because they were not choosing to submit to the word of god mm-hmm. they refused to believe that what Christ says about all humanity being the image of God is true. So they instead said, well, some people are just made in a lesser version of the image of God than others. They were saying that some people are genetically inferior to white people. Well, the same reasoning is what uh, has created uh, the number of um, uh, pastors and Christians who today believe the same thing, but now towards white people is the exact same thing. It is choosing to believe the culture, what the culture is saying about race instead of the word of God. They're choosing not to submit to the word of God. And the irony of it all is a lot of these pastors, their reasoning is, well, we don't wanna be like our forefathers. We don't wanna be like the white people in the past who embraced white supremacy. Mm -hmm. So therefore we're going to embrace critical race theory and wokeness so that we can be unlike them. But in their pride, they're doing the exact same thing their forefathers did. Which is to neglect scripture and to embrace the culture, to embrace uh, critical race theory, which is a ironically a different version of white supremacy, mm-hmm. because it's ultimately saying white people are better than black people. Now they'll say it differently. They'll say, "Well, white people are just more privileged." privileged. But it's the exact right. same. Mm-hmm. The exact same
0: thing. It, you're right about that. Is it, that's very interesting, and you know, I feel like the word racist. Is so powerful, right? No one wants to be a racist. That is a heartbreaking term, right? You know, no one ever wants to get called that. But when you uh, weaponize it politically, it's basically just a cudgel to beat someone into submission. You know, on on a worldview that is antithetical to Christian belief and and the biblical biblical truth you know, you have to be willing to stand up to that. And I kind of feel like some of what happened was these pastors, you know, overreacted because they were afraid, you know, they were afraid of the name calling and they couldn't just stand together and link arms with their brothers and sisters and be willing yeah. to tell the truth. Like, yes, we're sinners. A hundred percent. We we're yeah. we're working before the Lord to have pure hearts towards each other. You know, maybe Maybe one person's trouble is with another race. Maybe it's might be you're a woman, you have trouble with men, right? Or it's something else. It's like, you know, you're an older person. You don't respect your younger brother. And like that you, we've got to work through those things and love each other. Um, But, you know, what, I mean, what's the answer as we move forward today? Because one of the things that I know is true is we're a broken world and there's pain in the world and um you know we we've talked a lot about um um just recently we've talked a lot about gender theory you know and some of that comes out of brokenness in the home you talked about not having a father what is the best way as you know a white person as your white sister if someone is is truly deeply wounded as i some of my friends are because of what they went through how do we manage that? what do we What is the right way to to respect that and to lean into that in a way that's healing and truthful?
1: Yeah, a wounded black person is just the same as a wounded white person. There are plenty of people in the world who who have been wounded who have been hurt by a number of different things. And the way you know the Bible says that we should show no partiality right that we should treat black people the exact same way we treat white people there's nobody who is better or worse because of their of because of their skin color than than somebody else so to answer your question it really just means what does the bible say about how we should love our neighbor right it is to love our neighbor not just we, we oftentimes say just love our neighbor but that's not what it really says it's love your neighbor as yourself mm-hmm. right so when someone is wounded no matter what their skin color is how would we want to be loved? What would we want someone to, to say or to do for us when we when we're hurt, when we've been wounded? Now, it depends, of course, on what it is, right? You know, when it comes to fatherless children, what I what I needed most when I was um you know growing up, it wasn't handouts and welfare system. Mm-hmm. It wasn't any of that stuff. That didn't help me whatsoever. What I needed was for someone to mentor me, for someone to be a father figure to me, it, no matter who they are, right? That's what we need. And for someone to teach me that, you know what? I don't have to become like my father, right? I can I can work hard to be uh, a better man that, than he is. And, and by the grace of God, someone eventually mm-hmm. took me aside and told me that. And that was a white man, right? He, he did not try to you know, um, justify any of my own failures. You're angry, said, and
0: you have every right to be angry, right? And and so no, there, no, you can't. No. And yeah, and and the message, and I think Justice Thomas calls it the soft bigotry of low expectations. You know, exactly, and so saying you're exactly. angry, and no matter what you do, the system's against you would have been exactly the wrong thing, certainly in your in your case, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And and I was a very violent boy when I, when I was growing up. I was. Man, I the stories. I, unfortunately, just to be to be frank, I was committing sexual sin at an extremely young age, um, because I was vulnerable to, to seeing certain things that I shouldn't have seen at a very young age. Mm-hmm. I was going towards a horrible, horrible path, and then I thank God, of course, that God had mercy on me and saved my soul and changed me. But I especially also thank God for. You know, a, a person t- you know coming alongside me and, and keeping me accountable. And right now I'm a father to a young boy. Mm-hmm. And everything that I have been that has been said to me by my mentors have really helped me to, to make sure that I can be hopefully a faithful father to my son. But ultimately just comes back to what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And it is to obey what the Bible has said on what love means. It's speaking the truth in love. And it means again, the truth. Today in our culture, we think lying to people is how you love them. Lying to Black people, no, no, tell us the truth. Tell us the truth about fatherlessness. Tell us the truth about rampant abortion. Tell us the truth about crime, about the Democrats, about about all these different things. Tell us the truth. Lying to Black people will not do anything. It will only, for the last decades, the welfare system, all these different things, what has helped? It just created more chaos, right? So lying doesn't do anything, won't achieve anything. It is tell us the truth which is again, black people are made in the image of God, just like everybody else. Therefore we can thrive just like everybody else, but we're not going to thrive if you keep lying to us. That's right. And so often I think the way to love us is to, again, the soft bigotry of those expectations, which means again, not wanting to offend us. I want people to offend me with the truth in love. If it's going to help me become a better man. Mm. And so often we're, to a lot of people, so they will not actually do better in their own lives.
0: That is so true. Um, my story is: I come from Appalachia. My dad was a pastor in the mountains of Tennessee and in Kentucky, and a lot of poverty, as particularly in in the city, the area we lived in, Kentucky. The best people in the whole world, extremely bright people, that but there was this, you know, group of people. You know, I think uh, um, the war on poverty started there. And it was, you yep. know, there that, that, you know, Kennedy and others thought we're, we're going to make a difference. This is going to be, we're going to just spend enough money. We're going to throw enough social programs at it. We're going to take care of it. And unfortunately it's exactly the same. And in fact, it created generational poverty. And Jesus said, the poor you'll have with you always. And I'm not in favor of letting ever letting anyone starve. And certainly we need to do our part as the church, which we have, I think really uh, fallen back on because we know the government's got it, so we don't feel like we have to do our part. Um, but those mentoring uh, program, those mentoring relationships through churches. My husband worked for Prison Fellowship, and actually, I worked at some point there as well for Chuck Colson. Part of their program is Christian brothers mentoring Christian brothers as they're coming out, and so their recidivism rate is like you know eighty percent. Uh, of non-recidivism as opposed to 80% recidivate without actually having the mentors, the Christian, the truth of the Bible, teaching a work ethic, teaching all those things. And the vast majority of those young men and women, di- both cases, men and women, didn't have fathers. They didn't have yeah. someone coming alongside them. And of course, people need a mom and a dad. And so we're still struggling struggling with that and will and as long as that continues until we can step into those moments because we're always going to have the widows and the orphans. But as the church, we've got to step into those moments. And tell me about your mentor. How did how did that happen and and how did he come into your life?
1: Yeah, before I mention that, if you don't mind, you know, I'm glad you're right. mentioning how important fatherlessness um, is or how fa- important fathers are, mm-hmm. because the greatest predictor in in our society of poverty of crime of, of of all the terrible things you can imagine that our children will have to go through it is fatherlessness mm-hmm. that is the greatest predictor nothing else that's number 1 everybody knows this obama himself said this obama himself when he was running um, to be to be president the first time in oa um, he himself said That is the worst issue facing Black Americans. Now, of course, once he became president, he ended up changing his tune. But Mm -hmm. that is what, because everybody knows this, but we choose to neglect that because we don't want to deal with the real issue, which would actually help Black Because it's hard,
0: you know, it's hard. Just get in there and have a real relationship and take people into your own home and love them unconditionally and see that they get the help that they need. That's real love right there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you you asked me about my my mentor. I actually have several um and by the grace of god they were all older white men mm. um they were it was three of them they were great i mean they would invite me to their home and just spend time with them give me advice just basic life stuff that i had yes. no idea about because no one you know my mom is an amazing woman but she can only do so much she, mm. had, she had to work two jobs she was barely home is provide for me and i eat a lot so she had to work a lot mm-hmm. to to uh to uh you know feed me but these men, they would invite me to their home. They would let me see what it was like to raise their own children, what it was like to love their wives or what it was like for them to work hard. Um, Just how they would worship, how they would read their Bible, how they would teach just basic life things and basic Christian life things as well. And that was instrumental. So, so much of what they would do for me, wasn't even just what they would tell me or what Mm -hmm. they would teach me With words. It was just what they were allowing me to see because I didn't see that. Right. I've never seen my (laughs) father before. If he walked by me, I would would have no idea who he is. So, um, it's, it's really just them allowing me to just see them do life that really changed me.
0: Mm, I love that. And what, again, such a picture of Christ's love, you know, we're adopted into the family of God and that's, that's what Jesus patterned for us. And that's what we've got to do for others. Um, one of the things that is coming up here, and you mentioned, and we were talking extensively about fatherlessness, and it has multiple prongs of issues: not seeing a a intact family, not seeing a, a two people working, um, a work ethic, not seeing a, what a strong man looks like, particularly you know for young men, and sometimes they're drawn into you know gangs or homosexuality, all the different and you know, many, many things. I think they're sort of sitting ducks. And Mm -hmm. it's gotten to the point in at least in Washington and in politics where people can't dispute it anymore. They've got the data. But the answer for the left is abortion, Mm -hmm. which is the most racist thing that you could possibly to possibly do. Um, You know, we think about Margaret Sanger, Who's on the record ta- calling uh, minorities human weeds and and suggesting that people don't deserve to live? It's the worst thing you could do is to let someone live that she doesn't think is deserving of life, whether they're poor, or whether they're in they have uh, you know either cognitive abil- disabilities or physical whatever those things are. She f- she finds them unworthy and therefore she's the arbiter of who's a, who deserves life and who's worthy. And I keep hearing the same refrain over and over again. And uh, in fact, there's going to be a um, a hearing in the Senate banking committee, uh, subcommittee on the economy on the need for abortion in order for women to thrive. What yeah. would you say to that? Yeah, yeah. You're who they're thinking All of, the- by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, that's one of the, the, you know, Authority leftist authoritarian governments, Marxism, communism. This is always inevitable. Um, the first um, the first nation to legalize abortion is, and it's, and it's not by coincidence. It is the Soviet Union. People don't know this, but they were the ones who first legalized abortion. There's a reason for that, right? Because their view naturally leads to oppression of the most vulnerable people. There's also a reason why while they claim to care about the proletariat or the working class or the poor, they, every, every communist regime has murdered thousands or, or in many cases millions of, of, um, of um, vulnerable poor people. I mention all that because in the U.S., the Democrats have made it pretty clear that while they claim to care about Black people, they seemingly believe, according to their own policies, that having a number of poor Black children will be a massive problem for the, for the American system. Therefore, instead of changing the system to in such a way that would actually help all people, including Black people, by not having the welfare system and all these things, instead of doing that, instead of having a just system, their idea is, well, we need to terminate as many black babies as possible. That's the reason why um that's the reason why Margaret Sanger said we do not want the word to go out mm-hmm. that we want to exterminate you know black people or what she said the negroes right mm-hmm. so this is a big part of why so many leftists and they won't say so, but the reality- it, there's a reason why they say it is better essentially for a person or for a baby to be murdered brutally, by the way, instead of them growing up to be poor. Now, I don't know any poor person, and I grew up dirt poor. Who would say it's better for them to be brutally uh, brutally uh, murdered than for them to live even in poverty and have the chance to do well? Because that's the thing that they don't, they don't say, that I, by the grace of God, am now no longer poor. I'm not exactly wealthy by any means, but I'm not a poor person. And I thank God because I had the opportunity to live because my mom said, it is better for us to be raised, for us to to be poor than for her to kill me, right? that's what abortion does. Abortion kills children. Mm -hmm. So um, their view that that, that we need to abort children so then we can rescue them from poverty is ridiculous. You Mm -hmm. rescue children from poverty by helping them right? Again, not through handouts, right? But helping them through creating policies that will help men stay with their wives, right? for the, To empower churches to do their jobs to mentor people. If I didn't have the blessing of a local church, I wouldn't have been mentored, right? But our government right now is making it incredibly difficult for churches to do their job of being able to help the widows, help the single moms, and help the vulnerable poor children.
0: That's so true. Um, yeah go, the government want really doesn't want anybody else helping. <laughs> if you're wanna open a soup kitchen in a certain neighborhood, yeah. then they don't really want you there. That's their that's their turf and there's a whole bunch of people that are getting paid to be there and by the way, it is in their best interest for there to be a bunch of poor people so they can keep get getting government money and then supposedly being helping oh. you. Um yeah. so it's a, it's a long road and it's a long battle. Um, tell me what. So you wrote a lot about critical race theory, and this was one, just one of, um, the the sort of Austrian school of the gender theory, critical race theory, and uh, but you took it head on. What advice do you have for parents that are still seeing? Because some, in some cases, it it went out of the school system. Some cases, it just got renamed. And it's yep. still around we've still got dei officers you know breathing down everyone's necks and and telling school administrators what they need to do, blah blah blah, especially in colleges. What is your uh, advice to parents or students if you're in college when you when this kind of comes rears its ugly head because it will and again it's it's race it's racism is all it is
1: yeah. yeah. It may seem like a very simple answer, but it's very effective. And in fact, um, my answer is is what price would do or what some would call the Socratic method, mm-hmm. which is simply ask questions. ask questions. You know i've I've dealt with professors myself unfortunately it wasn't uh, well not unfortunately. fortunately, I suppose it wasn't as bad as uh, they are today. Um, but I would ask questions of my professors. And I wouldn't really say what I believed. I would just say, okay, well, you said this, but what about that? And the reason why I say this is because every false ideology, such as critical race theory, such as, um, you know, wokeness, DEI, all these different things, they are inherently inconsistent. Racism is inherently inconsistent because they'll often say, well, we just want equality. Okay, but then now, now they say equity. But mm-hmm. generally, they'll right. claim, or they'll claim they're anti-racist. Well, if you claim you're anti-racist, then why are you showing partiality or discrimination against white people, right? If you truly care about being anti-racist, then why focus so much on race, right? It mm-hmm. makes no sense. If you're truly anti-racist, which means, in a sense, you are anti all, um, uh, anti, um, um you know, elevating some races above others or focusing on race, then don't focus on race. It's as simple as that, Mm -hmm. right? So then treat white students, a white parents, the same as you treat a black students, a Latino students, or a Latino parents and a Latino students. It's all these different things, right? You do not have to do much except asking questions. So if you ask these basic questions, say, okay, you said this, but what about that? Or, how is this, for example, one thing I oftentimes ask people is so you think uh, when it comes to critical race theory or DEI, you sincerely think this is helping Black people. Okay. Well, there are people years ago or well, who now believe by being white supremacists, they are helping white people. What's the difference? What's the difference? Right. Or it's by saying, okay, well, what's the data that DEI or critical race theory has actually helped any, anybody? It hasn't actually only made things worse. Yeah. I mean, for example, true. and if you want to see this, is over the last 10 years, critical race theory has become extremely common. I mean, it was already mainstream in schools before, but now it's become mainstream everywhere. Well, what change has it produced for Black people? How have things gotten better? Has crime become less? No, it's actually gotten worse. Has it helped um, the, the relationship between um, um, Black communities and cops? No, it's actually made things worse. You now have cops who are on record levels leaving, quitting, retiring mm-hmm. from the police force, just only making things worse. So how is it, any of this helping anybody? It's not doing anything except creating a more divisive nation, which is a fact. You know, in in the um in the late nineties, there was a I'm forgetting. I think it was. Washington Times, uh, I'm forgetting exactly, but the late 90s, there was a poll asking young black men if they believe racism was a big issue in their life. I think it was somewhere around 90% said no, it was not a big issue in their life. This is, again, about, what, 30, 25 years ago? Now, the same polls say that it's an overwhelmingly big issue in a young black person's life. What's changed? What's changed? Has things really gotten worse, or has the messaging towards young Black people getting worse? And it, maybe I'll, I'll show this example. This is why it's really this is very really damaging. Um, when I was when I was about sixteen years old, I was shoplifting. Um, I'm embarrassed about it. I'm 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 I've repented from it, but I was shoplifting and i got caught as i was about to walk out of the store and as soon as i got caught the very first thing i said to the white per- the white store owner was oh you're doing this because i'm black mm-hmm. immediately i will never forget the horrified look on that store owner's face he became he was just again horrified
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I knew at that young age I could get myself out of accountability if I falsely accused that man of being a racist. He took away, it was a chain that I was stealing. He took away the chain and just let me go. Mm -hmm. I will never forget that. But again, I mentioned that because I already knew I could get out of myself out of trouble, out of becoming a better person, out of actually being a responsible man, if I just accused everybody else of being the problem, even when I knew I was I was in the wrong. That's the kind of messaging we're telling young black men and women today, that no matter what, you are the victim and you can get yourself out of any issue just by blaming, uh, blaming everybody else of being an oppressor or a racist. If God had not changed me, I would have been going to worse and worse and worse path, right? So critical race theory is not helping anybody. DEI is not helping anybody. It's only making things worse. It's unfortunately, again, justifying terrible behavior from some Black people. And it's only making some white people more fearful to actually help Black people. It's, it's, It's damaging. It's destructive. And we need to stop it.
0: I believe that. I totally agree with that. I had this very weird experience. And you know, and also I through the lens of being a woman, sometimes you do, you know, I'm in a rough and tumble world. I'm working in politics and it's brutal. And I'm like, you know, sometimes she wonders, did that happen because I'm a woman? And sometimes maybe, maybe that plays into it. I'll never know. But I had this weird experience where I was going through the Atlanta airport. It was kind of a, a late, very late flight. We'd been doing pro-Israel rallies. And going through the Atlanta airport through the TSA, I got this really horrible treatment. I mean, it's something I'm not used to at all, like very disrespectful, very kind of mean. And, um, and I was so shocked by it because again, it was just so over the top and not what I'm used to at all that I even, you know, said something to the person who was in charge and they're like, what is going on here? You know, that these people are very rude. So all that to say I'm I'm going to my gate and all of a sudden I look down and I realize I have on a t-shirt with a huge Star of David on it. And you know, we're talking a lot about anti-Semitism, which is real, racism, which is real. And a- as I was looking down, I was thinking, were they being mean because I have the Star of David on me? Is this or is it anti-Semitism? Is this what I was experienced? My point is, you don't ever know. Right. I mean, I'm sure there's times in your life where you've experienced mistreatment or disrespect or whatever, and you can't ever know why the what's behind that. Is there something uglier behind it or is it just this person's just a jerk? Is he a racist or is he he a jerk or is he both, you know, and probably both. Um, what, because racism and jerks are one and the same, but you know, is it just, he's just mean, or is it just because I'm, is it because I'm black or is it because I had a star David on my shirt or is it because I'm a woman? What? So that's, I think that's real. So what, how do you deal with that? Like, because it did kind of wake me up a little bit to this sort of this quandary that I think people... You know, African Americans are only twelve percent of our population. Uh, there's, I think, I think uh, Hispanics are maybe twenty six percent. The Asians, forget the Asians. The Asians get have no street cred at all. <laughs> but in DEI, in fact, they're the whole, they're the whole yeah, reason for I'm that not, uh, sure. Harvard Her, Harvard case yeah. that went before the Supreme Court about you know acceptance into college based on race. Uh, it was it was the Asian kids that that did the suit because nobody yeah. cares about them. Um, So, but, you know, all that to say, like, they're a minority too. So in normal life, as human beings who are, you know, we, we live with our humanity and our brokenness and all of that, I think there is probably a question in people's minds What's the answer? I mean, for me, it was like, you know, especially as a woman, like, well, okay, well, that's just how that is. But I, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I get any, I don't feel like I should, I deserve to get a pass because I'm a woman. If I'm going to go on a a show a TV, whatever I'm going to do, I've got to be as good and maybe I got to be a little bit better. And maybe that's part of also what minorities deal with. But I think, I think calling people to rise above whatever the thing is that they struggle with. And some of it is, you know, I grew up in Appalachia. You know, I had a really strong Southern accent in addition to big hair when I first came to Washington, which means people automatically take IQ points off in their head for you. You got to get above it. You've got to prove yourself. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe that doesn't really make sense to you, but if it does or doesn't, you know, what would your response be to that?
1: yeah well you know as we've mentioned partiality exists right uh, of all different kinds people have people not everybody but discrimination exists in different ways um but as you've said you don't always know if that's the reason behind whatever might be happening to you and regardless you can't control other people's thoughts or that's actions right. but you must control your own thoughts and your actions and rise above it as you said and you know, my mom always told me, she's like, "Look, don't ever use your fatherlessness as, as an excuse to fail. Don't ever use anything, anything, any opposition whatsoever to fail. Do the best you can with what you have." But unfortunately, in our society, we become a very envious people, where we always say, "I want to be better than that person." No, that's not what God has called us for. God has, God had, you know. Uh, One of my favorite things, one of my favorite words, um, you know, is stewardship. God has given us skills, talents, resources, time. And when we meet him one day as believers, we will give an account over how we use those things. He's not going to ask, did you do as well as that other person? No. It's going to be, did you do? Were you faithful? For example, in the parable of the talents, he does not compare necessarily the people who had the one person who had five tons and the two tons and the one who had one. It's simply were you faithful over what I gave you? So I want to make sure that I become the best I can be, not better than somebody else. Because that's not what I'm called for. But also in terms of what do we do with these thoughts of why am I receiving? perceived discrimination or partiality. I'll share a, a story that um I share all the time because I think it's it's helpful. It always it also helps me remember how to treat people or how to think about people. I was walking in a tunnel. Uh, it was a it was a dark, very cold night in Toronto. I was walking in a tunnel um underneath a a a train to get to a library. And as soon as I get to this dirty tunnel, I see a, a small young white woman um walking on the from the other end and as soon as she sees me she gets very scared she holds on to her purse much more tightly and as i'm coming towards her she walks really fast past me essentially attaching herself to the dirty walls because it seemed like she'd rather be close to the dirty walls than to me a black man as i kept walking I just thought, here we go again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: White woman assuming the worst of a black man. A white man, a white woman being racist towards a black man. But then I kept thinking, hmm, is that the right way for me to look at this? Am I being loving? Am I loving my neighbor as myself? So instead, I thought, well, hmm, the Bible says that I should consider um, others as more significant than myself. So how do I think about this? The more I kept thinking, I realized, well, hmm, I've said to my younger sister that whenever she's in this tunnel, she should be very mm-hmm. careful because it's she'd be vulnerable as a woman, right, in this tunnel. So then I'll, well, what if she's doing the exact same thing that I've told my sister to do in the tunnel? Then the more I kept thinking, I realized, huh? You see, I don't know her motivations. I don't know her reasoning. Mm-hmm. Maybe she is a racist. Maybe she is. But I don't know that. What if actually? What if she's a victim of a sexual assault in the past?
0: Right. And it's made her
1: all the more scared. And forget my skin color. I'm a big, tall man, mm-hmm. and she's a small woman. Mm-hmm. What if she was just thinking, "Oh man, here is a man. I'm vulnerable. So let me make sure that I'm, in case he's not a good person." in case, you know, I'm ready to do something about defending myself. What if that's the reasoning? Then this is when I really became convicted. I realized, I know for sure there is one racist in that tunnel. It's not her, it's me. Mm -hmm. Because if she was a black woman and did the exact same thing, I would have never assumed she was a racist because she's black, Mm -hmm. but because she's white, I judged her because of her skin color. I said, because you are a white person, it must be racism. So she probably isn't a racist, but I definitely was in that mm-hmm. moment.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: All that to say that we sometimes do not know why people do the things that they do. We don't know yeah. their thoughts and their motivations. We don't know. God has said we should be slow to take offense. We should be quick to listen and slow to speak. If I had been quick to consider all the reasons why she may have done that, I would have loved her in my thoughts more than I did in that moment.
0: Yeah. So all of that God means loves you and she walked by.
1: <laughs> so exactly, she was like, oh, cool. exactly. 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 <laughs> but all this is said, we don't we never know why people are mm-hmm. mean nope. or whatever they do. we can't control their thoughts, but we can control ours by the grace of God.
0: That so, is so I want to be
1: towards all people.
0: Let me just affirm you in that, because I'm going to tell you that that that'd been me. I don't care what your skin color was. I would have been scared, you know, and I think (laughs) about every single place that I go, you know, and, and I've got my keys in my hand as women are taught to do. And in, um, you know, in garages and we try to be really careful. I'm a runner. I try to be careful. I run. I actually was physically assaulted. Uh, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I ended up not being raped because an African-American woman stopped her car and got involved and stopped oh, the assault so from happening. No, I, I just say it as perspective, you know, because you've touched on something. We never know what the other person is dealt with. You know, we don't know. and um, mm-hmm. And the pain that, you know, they felt in life. So it's easy for us to judge and say oh they're just a racist when you don't really know gosh they're they're dealing with trauma in the past and let me be an answer to that by saying god loves you as i walk by or whatever the thing is or waiting you know and letting the person go through or whatever that is um so you're very i think you're very thoughtful um samuel that's that's one of the things that i really one of the reasons i've been following you and and you're so um I don't know. You're just wise and thoughtful and funny (laughs) and all those things. One last thing before we go and any thought you want to close with, um, and that is, um, what's the message for young, um, African-American men and women coming up concerned women for America has 285 young women for marriage, America, college chapters. And I'm, very grateful. We have a diverse group that are coming up and we very try very hard to make sure that's the case. We want to lean into everyone's experience and help them to learn leadership and teach them biblical principles and teaching them free market and constitutional principles. Um, So I'm always asking people, what is the, what word do you have for them as the, as this moment in this country, as they are growing up and learning to, to, to be a, a, a citizen and a believer and hopefully eventually a mom and a dad, what, what words do you have for them?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm so glad you asked that. It's a simple word or simple message, which is what changed my life, uh, what what changed my my view of everything really is just God. Um, It is God who changed. God is a foundation. God is a foundation of Western society. The reason why Western society is better off than, for example, Africa, where I'm from, where I love. But the reason why it's better off is because it was built on Christian principles. So if you want to thrive, first, your soul must thrive with God. Um, And so seek peace with God. Seek the grace of God. And after that, of course, obey his word. Read his word. Um, if I'm wise, um, it's because I'm just reading the wisdom of God and, and in the scriptures. It really is as simple as that. I'm not <laughs> naturally wise whatsoever. Uh, I was a high school dropout. I was failing all my classes. But things changed. when I started reading the word of God. So read the book of Proverbs, which is wisdom literature, right? Which is yes. King Solomon, his children to especially his 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 his, uh his sons give them wisdom on life on work on careers on marriage everything so read the word of god and also again um it's not don't the government is not what ultimately is going to help you the government is supposed to protect you that's its original goal it's not to help you people who help you are your parents by the grace of god your friends hopefully a local church right? Those are the things that should help you in your life. Be close to those those things. Do not depend on the government. They will only make things worse. And historically, when it comes to Black Americans, the worst thing to ever happen to Black Americans, whether it was slavery, segregation, and now even the welfare system, it has always been the government. So do not depend on the government. Depend on your loved ones.
0: Well, I appreciate your time, and we will keep Following you, again, follow Samuel in slow to write. Samuel, say welcome to Women for America. Thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Women for America. To keep up with the work that we're doing, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and head to our website, ConcernedWomen.org.